Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Robbie Hicks. And I'm Lockie Bradford. And on today's episode, we have Luxury Escape CEO and co-founder Adam Schwab. And I've got to say, we get deep on this episode, Rob. It's, uh, he's doing some amazing things. And the way he tells the Luxury Escape stories and the business model and how everything he's done... It's a real captivating and inspiring way. I know after the chat, man, you were kicking each other under the table, which is fucking that pump with energy. It was a really ripping chat. Oh, I just, I really, really liked. He's so passionate. It comes out in how he how he tells a story, how they're building, what they've built their team, some of the awards that the company has won. Um, oh, this was just to hear how they've like not only in a time like COVID for the travel scene, you know how obviously how. Uh, impactful that's been, but to see that they've in- increased their headcount by twenty percent, they're moving towards being a product-led business that do- invested heavily in tech. Uh, just an unreal chat. Bring a notepad and pen. Adam, thank you so much for jumping on and chatting with us today on the Funny Business Podcast. For those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do. Uh, I'm Adam. I am um, a co-founder and CEO of a business called LuxuryEscapes.com, and we sell travel products and experiences to people around the world, but mostly in Australia. How did you get into the world of travel? How did you like, did you have the travel bug? Did you have the itch early in your life or something where you're like, I'm a homebody, you know, I've, yeah. my passport's expired. I don't even know what to do. Yeah. I'm uh, not probably today. I was never a, sorry, travel's a really interesting sector and in it's not like law or medicine where you study for 10 years and you, and you do that. Travel, people tend to fall into travel. And I was actually a lawyer myself. My business partner was a AJ and Z. So, we were, and I'd never stayed in a five-star hotel till I was like 30 something. Uh, and as a kid, we'd stay in sort of service apartments we'd drive to in South Australia or, or whatever. So we definitely never went to luxury hotels. I ne- really never went on airplane. I've never took two domestic plane flights before I was 19. So I certainly wasn't a kid who traveled to Disneyland with their parents like lots of kids did. So we, we certainly weren't that kind of sort of rich kid who did that. Um, and even sort of when I was in the twenties, my travel would be like to Thailand with then girlfriend from flights to time. So I certainly had zero expertise and so did Gage, my sort of our co-founder and co-founders. And we kind of just fell in. So we, our first business was a, we started, I was 24 years old. I left my law firm or took a leave of absence. And we just started a backpacker apartments business actually. So someone was a backpacker in, in Melbourne and of course, or more of a flash packer uh, in that staying for three to six months and working somewhere. So it could be someone from England or Ireland or Sweden or Germany or wherever in the US. And they didn't want to stay in a hostel because you don't want to stay in a hostel for six months and you can't get your own lease because no one leases you for three or six months and you don't have furniture or all that kind of stuff. So kind of finding that middle gap between, there's just a bit of a, we thought there's a man there. So we rented, we all, we still lived at home at that time, but we rented apartments, we furnished them relatively inexpensively, but not okay, it looked pretty nice. And we just filled them with people who couldn't stay here. Effectively, we might be two groups of two. And so it wasn't like shutting 50 people in the apartment. Was, we were always more of a high-end backpacker in a way. Uh, almost like a hotel for backpackers, but a, a longer stay. So we did that and realized a couple of years, realized that there's some regulatory issues around sort of back. Most of them were really good and you get the odd, you always get the odd bad sort of bad apples. So we pivoted to a corporate apartments model uh, and we just, even, we just had one apartment left. We had about 50 or 60 corporate apartments and that was a really good business. It was turned over, made some nice cash and, and we bought some, bought some properties as a result of that through that experience. And we actually used mostly debt. We didn't have much money. So we bought six apartments. Then we didn't like debt. So we sold them. This is the 0809 era. Uh, and we, we ended up having a million bucks. This is a million dollar windfall. We were 28, 29 at the time. But well, what do we do next? So we thought we want something more scalable. Uh, and this is Web 2.0. It's just starting. So you've got sort of Facebook, hadn't monetized yet. Um, Snap hadn't started yet. Uh, Insta hadn't started yet. Airbnb had just started or barely started. Um, 
Uber hadn't started yet. So it was sort of just before that era. And we, we saw Groupon or Jez, my co-founder saw Groupon in the States. Actually, I saw, I saw a business called Top Table in the UK first. I started doing that, which is a restaurant booking website. Started doing that. And then Jez saw Groupon, fastest business to a billion dollars in TTV. So we pivoted to the Groupon model because it was just one deal a day. Didn't have to get a, be a massive marketplace built. You start with one deal. And then 80 other companies, 80 other founders saw the same thing. So every man his dog was doing his Groupon thing. Uh, and we sort of were the biggest non-corporate. So the biggest sort of independent. So there was all the TV stations had one. Um, there was Groupon themselves. Gabby and Hezzy from Catch had one. And we were the sort of biggest, we we're the six biggest after those guys. Uh, but we, and we, so we had that business. And the problem with local was a great business. It was actually a really great model. So people, business got customers for free, essentially. And they could try and convert them to lifetime customers. Problem is business aren't, small businesses aren't super sophisticated. They didn't understand. I'm sure your, your listeners or people who started business or are starting understand the co- concept of cost of acquisition and cost of lifetime value. And if you can get a free customer, that's really valuable. And if you can turn that into a lifetime value that's worth a thousand bucks, it's great. And if you can't, well, so be it. That's the cost you need. Small business don't always think that way. So if you're a local restaurant and you can get a customer for free in the sense that your food costs 30 bucks and I'm giving you 30 bucks, you're getting a customer for free. And if you can convert them to a lifetime customer, it doesn't cost you anything. Small, some small businesses really got that. It's great. So most don't. They just don't quite understand the concept of, of customer acquisition and lifetime value. So problem is while some do, a lot don't. And the business model doesn't always work when customers don't understand the value you're giving them. So the other problem with that business, and whilst we still have it, it's been a solid business for 12 years, is the basket size is small. So you work really hard to get a sale, but you're making six bucks. So from a massage or a, or a restaurant. And the other thing is because you don't control the end-to-end experience. Uh, so if I'm selling a restaurant voucher, if a restaurant does an amazing job, it's great. If a restaurant does a terrible job, which might happen 20% of the time, we got blamed. So you, not great new economics, not great customer satisfaction all the time, few problems with that model, but it, it's good enough that it's survived, but it's not a $10 billion business. But the thing is, when we, we started doing some travel deals, so Airbnb stuff and not Airbnb, like B&B deals, Airbnb's competitor, uh, the odd stuff in Southeast Asia, and we realized those, those type of deals solve those issues, much bigger basket size. So selling $2,000 trip to, to, to Thailand, you've got a much better unit economics. So you're making three, 400 bucks and you're spending 200 bucks on a customer. That, that's positive, that's profit off first purchase and a good delta. And also, and hotels, a branded hotel, even a non-branded hotel, really cares about the customer experience. They're in the hospitality business, they get bad reviews on TripAdvisor, kills the business. They really care about what customers think. And then the business of hospitality, so they naturally treat customers well. So we, the two main issues you had with that local business were solved with the travel business. So we just realized, it's actually a really good business. So we just, just in terms of pure profitability, so we started focusing more and more on travel. There's 11, 12, 13. In 2013, we spun off Luxury Escapes as a separate brand, which could uh, work with much higher-end hotels, the Ritz Carlton, the Kapinski's, the Heights, the Hilton's, etc. Uh, and we just focused on travel. That's sort of been eight year, yeah, eight, nine-year journey, almost nine-year journey in, in Luxury Escapes as a separate brand. It's grown organically from sort of zero to almost a billion-dollar turnover run rate. So it's been a pretty good growth. That's organic. So we have never raised capital, never bought really a business um, in terms of the core business of travel. We bought local business, never travel. Uh, and I think it's called a bit of a zeitgeist of we're not booking.com, we're not Expedia. We had this flash sales business, which is really unique in that we'd sell a, often a luxury property for a two-week sale period at a great discount. So instead of um, you go to Ritz Carlton Bali for 30 or 40% off and you can only buy it for two weeks and so customers will love it because we give it great curation uh, and this great deal, more importantly, so you get all this great stuff. Everywhere from sort of 60, 70-year-old 
sort of parents whose kids aren't at home anymore. There are lots of times the, the 25 year olds on that first overseas trip who when I was 25, I could never afford that, but now my way was expensive. So, um, so there's, it was great for customers, you know, these great deals and hotels love it because hotels actually make lots of money. So you think, well, how is that possible? Because you, you're selling it 40% off. Well, it's possible because we give them customers when they otherwise have empty rooms. So we won't sell the room in the peak Christmas week. We'll sell it in February, March, whatever. And we'll, and we, and we'll, uh, we'll also sell extras like breakfast, dinners, massages. And hotels love that because people don't always buy that stuff. Even people love eating it. People love getting a massage, but you don't always buy a massage if you're at a hotel because you've got it the cheap one next door or you'll, or you won't eat breakfast, lunch because it's too expensive. So if we can get people on site buying stuff, hotels make more money. So hotels, and we have a bit of an early bird model. So hotels, people book in advance, often by six months, they want to lap, they want to grab that deal. So hotels actually make millions of dollars out of it, even though they give our customers a discount. So we sort of facilitate this great trade where it's sort of a win-win. Uh, that was our legacy business. And the last 12 months during COVID, we've created a marketplace. So I guess the one problem with that flash sales business is we don't always have what you want. So if you want to go to, Phuket uh, next week. We may not have a Phuket. We may have a Wahin deal or a Bangkok deal or a Vietnam deal. But you really want to go to Phuket. You really want to Moscow. You really want to London. We don't have everything you want because the whole nature of the business is we don't have everything at the same time. It's a short, sharp, special at a certain place. So if you can go anywhere, perfect. But if you really want to go to this place, not, we don't always have that. Uh, so what we create is a marketplace, which is less discounted, but always on. So we'll always go have somewhere in London, like four or five places in London, which might have free breakfast and, and a free cocktail at night. Won't be as much of a discount as our really good London deals, but you can always get it. So you can mix and match. So you can, I'm going to get a really good discount in Tuscany. I'm going to get a pretty good discount in Rome and London and Barcelona. So you can build this amazing trip at 25% less than Booking.com and Flighties, for example, uh, all online and everybody loves, like, certainly anybody under probably 70 loves Booking online, but we've also got a phone center. So anybody can call our phone center 24-7 for five days a year and speak to an expert and book. So a bit of a long-winded way of saying we have sort of two businesses now. Uh, and growing lots and creating lots of products on top of that, which we talk about later. What, what was the like in those early years? I mean, you mentioned back like 2010, 2011, 2012, as luxury escapes are starting to grow its legs, and you've mentioned growing organically. What were some of the early learnings that you said? All right, this is the way we need to do it. This is like, did you take the like the flash sales? I know that's how catch some of do some of their sort of stuff. Like, what were the, some mm. of the learnings that you that really helped the organic growth? Yeah, it was, it was very much flash stuff. Like, yeah, catch of the day, which copied Zoot. Uh, in the US, pioneered that, that deal a day for products. They did scoop on, which was deal a day for services. So very, it was very much that. We'd run a, a deal for a day or two days originally. And then we, now we do it for two weeks, so we expanded. But it was literally two days. You can buy a package. It's a really good discount, but it's gone. So if you don't buy it today, it's gone. So it was that super special. We then, that, that was the inconvenience. If you missed your email, you missed the deal or it sold out. It was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a um, harsh way to do business. So we sort of expanded a little bit. But yeah, there was a lot of trial and error because like, we, we'd never run an online business before. So you just don't, everything from customer acquisition to customer service to finance, like you kind of don't know what the hell you're doing. You're just learning along the way. And one thing we are, and we're pretty much every founder's good at, is just learning from the mistakes. So we'd, we'd make a mistake, we'd learn from it. And we had, effectively, myself and Jeremy as, as founders and another two sort of co-founders on top who came a little bit later, a guy called Mark, who was, we knew from, I knew from uni, who also did law, uh, was this amazing negotiator, amazing sales guy amazing marketer so he brought that skill which we all had a bit but he was really good at that and josh was a great operator great product guy jez a great strategist and also the operator so we all sort of put it four very complimentary and we had a great team my wife was our cfo and it was super a super good operator out of private equity and we had amazing lots of 
couple of Vietnamese IT guys who were super hacky and, and could come up with stuff. And it was very much seat of our pants sort of stuff. And then as, as you grow, now you've got 300 people and we'll have 100 product dev people soon. And, and so it's a much bigger business now. Um, but you sort of learn along the way. It's your formula views. We're just making lots of mistakes. And the great founders, you know, you probably speak to lots of them, are gritty and just are quick to learn. You just got to be really, sort of really nimble, really quick. And, and we, we knew nothing about, we knew nothing about travel. I wish we knew about the travel sector. I, like stuff like most hotels aren't owned by brands. So you go to Hilton, you go to Hyatt, you go to a core, whatever. That's owned by someone. It's not, it's not them. They're like a franchiser. I never knew any of that before we started travel. So there's a whole bunch of nuances. Travel is a very, I wouldn't say corrupt, but there's a lot of sort of kickbacks and handshake deals that historically happened in travel. And then you had the booking.coms, the Airbnbs and likes, likes of us. So come and kind of smash that. We're very democratic. We'll just put stuff on the site. Whatever sells the most goes on the top. So we want people to, we want to make the most money for our hotels and give people the best deal. So if people are buying something, converting really highly. That's what you set at the top, as opposed to even the booking.coms where they'll put what gives the most commission on the top. Or if you go to a high street agent, it's what, who gives them the biggest overrides. They have these sort of back, backroom deals. So if you go into any travel agent, what they try and push you historically is what gives them the best commissions. Whereas we're much more democratic. We'll say, a bit like Google, who, whoever's most popular, whoever deserves to be the highest organic ranking, will go on the top. We've got to escape. So we don't sort of play games. We don't take kickbacks. We don't pay. Nothing like that. We're, we're very democratic. And I think customers inherently like that, that they can trust us, that we're working to get them the best deal, the best package, the best price. And there's no, there's no sort of dodgy overrides or anything like that. We're just, it is what it is. You would have butted a few heads though. I'm um, tipping it's very punk rocky to come into a new industry and just go, nah, this is how we're doing it. Fuck it. Like this is the way yeah. it should be kind of thing. There would have been a few people who have been, you know, dominating this space for a while now. Did, did you butt a few heads? Yeah. Like, uh, certainly people that hate us the most are what we call the wholesalers. So hotels, hotel owners love us who make the money. Hotel brands generally like us. Um, different brands are different, but most brands we have a great relationship with. So that part of the ecosystem is great. The people who don't like us are the, there was, so this layer between hotel and travel agent called a wholesaler. And a lot of them are owned by the flights and had their own wholesaler um, and Hello World had one, but there's other ones, a couple of wholesalers who just sat in the middle. There still are a few of them around, but these people really created no value. They charge 10% and they just be an intermediary in the hotel and the agent. So we come in as we are the wholesaler. So we deal directly with the, with the hotel. So does booking.com and Expedia. So we cut out this whole middleman. It's only tours. So the tours is like two or three middlemen. We, we have tours. You want to go to Africa tour with us. Same as the super high end Abercrombie stuff that costs 40 grand. Ours costs 20. Why? Because we cut out two middlemen. Our product is exactly, literally exactly the same. Same in the same tent. It's like the same five-star tent, six-star tent. Except ours costs 20 and ours costs 40. Why? Because we cut out two middlemen who have no value. So we cut out these. And, there's, and the way the wholesalers used to work is they get the free, get free trips in the hotels and then a lot of back scratching and... and we hate that. It's not how we work. It's not how probably you guys work. And we just said, we'll go straight to the hotel. We'll move a bunch of inventory for you really quickly. And wholesalers inherently saw that sort of free, free lunch being cut here. They didn't like it. And a lot of the wholesalers, wholesalers died. Um, some still live on in some form and eventually they'll go because they just add, if you look at first principles, if you add no value to anyone, you shouldn't be in existence. And these guys <laughs> have no value. So they shouldn't be in existence. And we don't, so and some travel agents don't like us. Some like us because uh, and I'm good friends with a lot of travel agents. I know Screw, I know Anthony Goldman from, from Travel Call is a really high-end travel agent. And a lot of the agents, are, yeah, we, we do sell to their customers a bit, but we also start travel. So if someone buys a great package to Maldives, they're asked. They can buy other stuff through that, that local travel agent who they know that they've had a great relationship with. And that's great. If we can help travel agents and help a customer get a great deal and everybody wins it, that's a great result. So 
and we sell to travel agents in part. We're going to expand that so travel agents will be able to buy from us. So we become a wholesaler in a way. So whilst I criticise them, we become a wholesaler but at a much better price. So because um, we're selling our own stuff, so we just sort of share our share our profits with the travel agents. So we become a much better value wholesaler than the historical guys. Um, so we're, we'll try to disrupt that. But we're, we're essentially a D2C business, like like the Warby Parkers in a way. So we just cut out all those middlemen and give customers a great deal and hopefully make lots of money for suppliers. So just changing. The, we saw eventually saw an industry that was part really broken in many ways. Travel is there was a number of bits of travel. So that was actually distribution. Travel distribution was broken and. OTAs, so as in booking.com, Speedy have done a lot to fix that. And so I can rep a small version of them. The other part of travel that's broken is the guest experience. And that's what we're trying to fix next is how do we fix the booking process and the traveling process? So I think you guys want to do a bit of travel and you will post COVID. If you go to, let's say you want to go to Europe and Australians go to Europe for 20 days, stay at seven different places. So you go to London, then you go to Rome, you go to Barcelona, then you go to Bifa, then you go all these different places. And think how you book that. So you book from all these different suppliers. You go to booking.com for this, you go directly for that, you're buying your cooking class there, your trek there. It's all these different supplies. So you got to jump, you get all these emails and they go in an email inbox somewhere. And then you, I'm, I, what I do is I use a, email, a Google Drive, a Google sheet or an Excel shared sheet with my wife. We'll type in day one, day two, day three. Day one, I'm going to Rome. Day two, I'm going to Ibiza. Day three, I'm going to Barcelona, where, where it is. And that, I'm, I'm staying at this hotel and I'm, I'm, here's my, and it's all a mess and it's all different supplies. We'll, because we're building marketplace on the, on the back of our flash, we'll soon be able to sell the full range of five star or four star. So you'll be able to like your flight, you can buy it ready by a flight through Luxuriescapes. You'll be able to buy all your experiences, so your cooking classes, your hot air ballooning, your, your spas, all that kind of stuff come through us. We'll also sell fillers. So if you want to say a rock star villa in Bali, we'll, we'll sell you that. If you want to go on a cruise, we'll sell you that. If you want to go on a, you boys aren't probably big cruises, but if you want to go on a Disney cruise or a Royal Caribbean cruise, you, you can go on that. Um, if you want to buy your, uh, bill, uh, uh, your tour, we'll sell a broad range of tours. So not just ours, we'll sell APT and Scenic and whoever else, Intrepid, whoever you want to go on. Uh, so you can buy everything from us, which no one else actually has, except for the really high-end travel agents. So you, you can buy a complete experience with us and put it in this dynamic, so basically drag and drop, and you can create this. So instead of having to handwrite it or to put it on, or, and then when you get somewhere, you've got to pull out all your papers, it'll all be there. If you, you can see when your plane is, you can see if you if your schedule change, it'll change. If you add your, if you book a massage, it goes in. So you have this incredible dynamic, dynamic itinerary, which A, helps your booking process and it makes it really good fun. And then when you're on your trip, because you, you, when you want, to, you want to book your dinners, you want, if you're in Bali, you want to book Ramasan, I want to book it back. You can book it on Luxury Escapes. You'll be able to book on Luxury Escapes and goes, your booking goes into your trip plan. So no, it's like having a, your Microsoft calendar or your, your calendar online dynamically changeable as you're on your trip. Uh, so we want to change the, we fix distribution, we've helped fix distribution, we want to fix travel as well. well. I can imagine the last two years have been a really interesting time to be working in travel space, borders, COVID, all that sort of stuff. What's the experience been like for you and the team? Uh, both really hard and really good. So it's, been really it's a good question. Uh, so travel's been really hard hit, as everyone knows, because you just couldn't go overseas and 70% of our revenue was overseas revenue. So we lost a lot of, we, we were lucky enough that we have a big Australian business. So we pivoted, our Australian business doubled. So we, we, were, we were, weren't making money, but we weren't losing as much as some of the other big travel agents. So we were lucky enough that, and a lot of our customers were fantastic at supporting us. People didn't demand refunds. They were great accepting credits on moving days. So we, we always had a great cash balance, which was pretty lucky. Uh, our staff did the right, uh, did, were really helpful and everybody, everybody took some slight pay cuts, but that was just for the initial phase of the pandemic. And obviously JobKeeper was helpful, but 
we every travel business in the world pretty much sacked or furloughed staff, even the great ones like Booking.com and Flight Center and, and TripAdvisor and Airbnb. Those guys all furloughed staff. We increased our staff by 20% with a focus on tech and product. So we wanted to accelerate out of the, out of the curve, out of the turn, and we knew that we'd end it eventually. We wanted to build this great travel product. We wanted to pivot from a flash sales business to a marketplace business to a product business, and that takes great people. So we were, we, we were hiring, not and in the last month, much more aggressively, but we were hiring great people in the last 18 months. And, our, and I got my CTO back from Amazon who went to Amazon in Europe to manage 100 people. He came back. He's built this amazing thing. We had a really good team before. We've got an amazing team now. So we get people out of Canberra, out of Alaska, and out of these great businesses. So A, everybody wants to work and travel. And B, we've just got this great team of, we have one team member who actually did leave for AWS, um, got a really good role and left AWS. And he said, the luxury escape team is better than the AWS. AWS is the most valuable tech business in the world if you have a standalone business, probably. And they, he goes, oh, your team is much better than AWS, which is a pretty big compliment to say you've got a better team than AWS. So, it must have um, made you feel good hearing that. Yeah, it's a great reflection on our team, really, to be able to build just an incredible team and build a group of people uh, who are so customer-focused, so, so product-focused. Um, so, yeah, it starts from the top, got a great leader and got great directors and great managers and and. We've, we've hired some superstars this year. We hired people who, as contractors early in the pandemic who are now about to become an engineering director. And so in the space of a year, it's helpful when you're smaller. When you've got a team, it's hard when you're at Facebook or Google. You just can't progress like that because they're just too big. Microsoft, forget about it. Um, so we're small enough that someone really talented can go grow really quick. And but you mentioned before about moving towards being a product, moving like the evolution towards being a product business. What are some of the changes that you have to do internally, I guess, because it's, diff- it's, it's, it's a different model. Yeah, so it's partly it's the way of thinking. So we've, if you look at the first 10 years of business, we were very, and we still have a big flavor of this. We were very deal-driven. So really, a, we were a tech-enabled retailer. You've heard that term probably a lot. Like Amazon arguably is a tech-enabled retailer. Not the rest of it, but Amazon Marketplace is a tech-enabled retailer to many, to a great extent. Um, most, most online retailers are tech-enabled retailers to a degree uh, versus uh, a Canva, which is much more product-led. So how do you how do how we how do we switch? So it's partly just obviously increasing the team, but it's also creating a product vision. So we when I talk about how to create the connect the trip, no one in travel is working on really booking.com was talked about for 10 years, everybody started down this road, but during the pandemic pulled back. No one's really trying to solve these problems generally at this time. Genuinely they're doing bits and look at Airbnb's winter release two weeks ago. And I love Brian and Joe and they've done obviously a ridiculously good job, a hundred billion dollar business, much bigger than us. So um Certainly not one for me to criticise that business, but the, the product, the product they released, but their headline product was a Wi-Fi speed test. That like, that's not exactly a groundbreaking product, and they're focused on other stuff. Uh, and they've got some cool products they released, but certainly not groundbreaking. They're not. They were focused on connected trip for a while, but kind of pulled back from that. So no one's really focused on solving these big problems for customers and travel. And we are. It's going to take us a while to fix it, but we're trying to. We're trying to do it and hopefully we can, we can get, we're working on, we just build a, building a personalization team now, which is building a team data scientists that is going from sort of a one email a day, which is largely a billboard to going to much more personalized communication. So how do we do that? No one's doing that in travel properly. No one's doing that in e-commerce properly, but certainly no one's doing that in travel properly. So how do we solve all these problems that, that exist that no one's really solving well? So we think there's really good opportunity to, to build a much more product. Look what Canva did for graphic design 10 years ago. They took, you had Microsoft Paint and you had Adobe, and if you're a graphic designer, you use Adobe. Everybody else has to use Paint, and then there's nothing else to use. And there's everybody knew there was a problem there. And and Mel and Cliff and Cam just solved it, and they just built these amazing products. That's why they're going to be worth two hundred billion dollars. Like we're not going to be Canva, but we think there's a real opportunity to do to Cam what Canva did for graphics to traffic. So how do we turn 
booking travel out of the hands of expert travel agents who spend half their days on Sabre and DOS space programs and let everyone become a travel agent, be your own travel agent. And not in the sense of going to booking.com and having this mess of shit, being your own travel agent in that you can create beautiful itineraries, dynamically moving itineraries, which drag and drop. And then our next product we're building, I want to talk to, I can steal your questions, but we're building a product called Connect, which I saw business in, a few businesses in the States are starting, but we'll create a marketplace for expert advice. So if you're a great expert on Morocco or Russia or Vietnam, you can create itineraries and people can buy them or tweak them and buy them. So how do we get what travel agents are really good at, which is advising you on where to go and not them have to waste their time on booking stuff, which is non-evaluated work and pay them a little bit. So travel agents make more money and customers get these great experts. We become marketplace for expert advice. Like Canva has great templates. We want to build a template for a trip and that's pretty easy to build in a sense once we've got trip planner finished and you can build this amazing trip through Russia well, you never going to do otherwise because you don't know what's good in Russia and your travel agent doesn't want to. You, but there's one guy in Australia somewhere, one guy in America who knows, one guy in Russia who knows how to build this great Russia trip. So let's find them and pay them and create a great win-win. Win-win-win. Well, it's even open for collaborations. Like you can see even like people with influence can start creating their own 100%. itineraries and that and it's going, fuck, where does it end? You know what I mean? That's such a smart fucking idea. Yeah, yeah the influence, influence is a big one. Influence is a big one. It's how do you work with, there's two levels there. I'm going to, we already work with influence a little bit, but work with, uh, call it a travel influencer who's really good in, in Western California and builds this great Western California trip and we pay them an affiliate fee. So they get the five or six or 7% or whatever it is. So like, let's say if you're a travel expert building a, tour, a, a trip in Morocco, we'll give you 1% because it's just set and forget and you can get tips. But if you're an influencer, we'll give you 5% because you're giving us customers. So if you give us customers, we'll give you the influencer clip. And if, or if you're... Chris Hemsworth, and you want to, of your Prince William, and you want, and you're very devoted to court forest charities, you can build this great tour of England, and we'll donate the five percent to charity. So how do we work with celebrities to, and bigger influencers to work with that charity of choice? To, so instead of them getting the money, they don't need the money, they'll give the money to the charity they like. So it's different, as you said, you hit the nail on the head. How do we use basic product, really simple product, to, to create great experiences? Well, how important has, been, has content been for your business then? Because I guess that when you're selling luxury escapes, and I've seen like you, you've got some, some videos on YouTube that have gone bananas with the crazy amounts of views and obviously using people like influencers and travel influencers to help promote and get the brand out there. How important is like crisp content for what, you, what you're selling? It's really important. We have, we've done a better job than most travel agents, but we're probably still a four out of 10. Uh, and I had a, a new, uh, previously on News and Most started a big focus is how do we get this content? We have a TV show, which is number one travel show in the country in 2019. And we're literally starting to work on 2022 series now. So we're pretty good at TV, uh, but there's a lot more we can do, a heap more we can do. And we, we are actively working on that. Obviously, pandemic made it a bit trickier. You could, a, you couldn't get anywhere and B, it's obviously expense. But yeah, we've got, we've got a team of in-house writers, in-house video producers. So we've always had a big, content focus. We, when we sell a hotel, we try and film it. Because that's you want to be able to immerse yourself in the hotel. If you're spending five grand on Maldives, you want us to be able to really see it. Or, or ten grand on Maldives. So um, yeah, we and we want to work with you a lot more with content. So we want to create a podcast. We sort of play with that for a while. Um so we've got a TV show, we've got an online magazine, but there's plenty of scope to improve that. We're 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 nowhere near where we need to be. Uh, we want to be the Red Bull of travel. Like we're not going to be as good as Red Bull because Red Bull are the masters, but look at Red Bull did for content, their own their own content house. How do we become much more of a content house? Because ultimately, content's becoming commerce and vice versa. It's, there's a significant, um, the opposite of diffusion, whatever that word is, um, collaboration there with content commerce. And, and if you look at, I don't think this is Scott Galloway, but, but 
and there was also the, the Pinterest PayPal thing that obviously didn't go ahead. But think of that, like how important, how, how FinTech is, has found a way to monetize and we've found a way to monetize travel, but how do we get more content? Because obviously content's great for traffic and great for engagement and people love it. How do we just get that used content for as a, really as a way to lower your CPAs, essentially is the point. It also help the customer experience. Lock and I were laughing before this chat and just thinking about all the different places that you might have been. Have you got have you got some favorite locations? Have you had places you mentioned as a kid growing up? It's not something that you did all the time. I'm sure now that you've made the most of getting out and about. Yeah, well, we I sort of had kids about seven years ago. So when the business started really taking off, we've had young kids. So it's a little trickier to take kids to some of the super flash places. But and I'm not a yeah, luxury luxury is different to different people. So we'll sell a hundred buck a night five star resort in Bali or a four five thousand dollar night place so luxury is a big range uh, and we're very cognizant of that not everybody not everybody can afford the ten thousand i don't pay ten thousand dollars a night ever for stuff so i'm more of a sort of mid-range but i love the maldives uh i was there a couple of months ago it's incredible i don't know if you guys have you guys been but anybody listening it's just it, like it's genuinely one of those places where what you see is actually what you get is actually better than what you see like it's the water's incredible the food's incredible it's just amazing uh I love Fiji as well. We're going to Fiji in January, like a lot of Australia. Uh, Fiji Jean-Michel, which is amazing for kids. Um, so we're very focused on what places are kind of kid-friendly. We have a four-year-old and a five-year-old and a six-year-old. So you kind of get a bit dominated by where kids, there's no point taking, like we love going to SeaWorld in, in Australia. It's amazing. Kids love it. Um, we're a great partner with Versace. There's probably no point taking kids to Versace next door because it's not a kid place. So we'll go to places that are kid-friendly. Uh, as our kids get older, we'll be different. So we love, we love, we did the cruise once. And that was great for kids. Uh, so you think people think cruising is for 75 year old people. It's actually not at all. It's amazing for kids. And, and you guys probably love a cruise. Like, you can go to 10 different places. You can go to Ibiza and Cannes and Rome and Barcelona and have to unpack. And you can go and visit these places and then go back on the cruise and have great food and watch a Broadway style show. It's actually really good. Uh, and not just, and I went on a cruise, a Norwegian line cruise with kids. And there was like college kids there. I was in the spa where it's like, it's, it's not what a lot of people think cruises are like. Uh, people have this image of the love boat, which is actually not at all the case, unless it's a super expensive six-star cruise. But if you go on a Royal Caribbean cruise, it's actually great fun and not that expensive and a great way to see lots of places. Uh, so there's a lot of places, things that are surprising. Um, but yeah, we've been, I've, I've been lucky enough to be away. We had to leave because my father-in-law wasn't well. We left in July and then he recovered, thankfully. And I've been up to travel Maldives and Thailand and Croatia. And around the UK, so I've been super lucky to be traveling when all our friends, my friends in Australia have been stuck there. So it's a great experience to, to be traveling. And people around the world are traveling again. Like Maldives is the busiest it's ever been. Uh, Croatia, we can barely get a room. Um, Thailand's a quieter, but it's starting to get busy. Um, but as an Australian, you could leave to Thailand tomorrow. You could jump on a plane and quarantine for six hours and you're away. And you can get a five-star hotel and get for 100 bucks a night. It's, uh, you'll never get priced like this for the rest of our lives, I suspect. So we're back. Is the rest of the world open? And we're like, we're, st- we're stuck here and we're here in restrictions as we're recording this. We're out the other end here in Victoria, but like, is the world back? world is almost all back. Like Eastern Europe's now having a few issues, but like UK, US, just, Australia and bits of Asia have treated COVID, I'm not saying it's a comment whether it's right or wrong, but treated COVID very differently uh, and probably saved some old people's lives at the expense of probably really damaging. I think the funnest people, the funnest age of your life is tw- where you got 20 or 30. It's the funnest age. And two years, if you're 20, two years is gone. Uh, so yeah, the 20-year-old is never going to die because basically no 20-year-olds die. And certainly no one's been back then, they won't. But 
you know, we've saved some older people's lives, which is really important, really great, but we've kind of ruined the lives of 20 year olds. <laughs> There's been a winner and loser here and young people have lost and older people have won. And a decision governments have made, I'm not gonna comment whether it's right or wrong. Uh, you probably know what I think, but um, it's, it's really unfair. So now hopefully the 20 to 25 to 30, 35 year olds use these years that have been sort of taken from them. And now's the time to go, but you guys could literally book a flight to Phuket tomorrow and be in Phuket right now, staying in a five-star resort, 100 bucks a night. That's usually 500 bucks a night. I think travel is so important to a developing person too. I remember like, I think in, in terms of like a gap year in between school and uni and just really figuring out like, I think you escape the world that you're in, like this little bubble that you feel like, oh, this is reality and this is life. And when you go to a different country, it's like, well, hang on. You, you miss it. If you're, if you're 18 years old and going through like your exams and you don't get schoolies and you don't get that experience of seeing other countries and that, you feel a bit trapped, wouldn't you? That's why the mental health fucking issues are so, you know, rare. Yeah, it's it's absolutely spot on. It massively impacts the lives of the wealthier countries who can't go, but even more impactful if you go to look around Phuket now and the big hotels are absolutely open, but there's always used to be lots of shops and restaurants and a massage place or whatever, and 90% of shut, just empty. Um, you still have an amazing trip because hotels are open and there's 10% are open, but these are people's lives who just doesn't no longer exist. Like, as in, so the Phuket economy has contracted 83%. So imagine the poverty levels that are created there. People just can't eat. Like the Fijian economy is the same. So it's all good and well. We're saving the lives of a couple of thousand people who may have passed away at the age of 84, but we've ruined the lives of 23-year-old Fijians who are in poverty now. So there's winners and losers in government action. And we, everybody's really quick to point to, yeah, maybe people, more people died in the UK. Average age, 84. Well, that's not, I'm not saying 84-year-olds 84 84 should die. Absolutely not. My parents are 70, 70 and 74. We don't want to see them die, but... We don't want to see anyone die, but we also need, so there's impacts to people, there's impacts to action. So when you, when you lock down a country and you stop tourism, you ruin people's lives. So there's, there's good and bad to that. And obviously, we're a travel business, we've been impacted, but other travel businesses have gone bankrupt. So we're, we're, if I game theorize it out, as a business, we're much, much more valuable than pre-COVID. So COVID's been good for our valuations, bizarrely, but terrible for everybody around us. So yeah, it's great that our business is a much better business now, but I'd much rather COVID not have happened. And we would have got there eventually, but 40% of Fijians wouldn't have been out of work for 15, for 15 months. So we certainly look, I think Australia is very insular as a country. And unfortunately, we don't really think of the impact we've had on our, our amazing partners who, Balinese, the Fijians, the Thais, who are incredible people who are having, and it's not Australia's fault because they shut their borders as well. It's not our fault. But look at the impact that these policies have had on, on, the, on the local people has been pretty devastating. You'd, yeah, you'd have so many connections worldwide. You must be, you must be in a time like that. You're thinking about everyone, you know, being like an empathetic guy, like just feeling about that's fucked, isn't it? When you when you think about it like that, because you, like you said, we are pretty insular and we don't really think about the partners. And as soon as everything's up, every, we want everything to be back to normal and like it was before. But you don't think about how things get done and how things are created, you know. What do you think? Is look at that. Look at I don't know if that's too politically because I'm not sure your listeners sort of are that way inclined, but. I probably want to myself slightly left-wing, not right-wing in some sense because I run a business, but most social policies, I'm left-wing. Everything from refugees to abortion, all that kind of stuff. I'm very pro-refugee, very pro-immigration, very pro pro all that kind of stuff, pro-euthanasia. So like most sort of people under 40 um, or the majority. But you've had this divide where the left around the world has been sort of pro-lockdown and the right have been open, partly because of probably Trump and whatever else. But we had a weird situation where most lockdown policies have benefited the rich, for example. So the rich have gotten massively richer through everywhere in the world. Um, and the rich have been on their boats and living this luxurious life. If you've got a big house, you're fine if you're an house and mission and stuff. 
So Richard benefited from lockdown. So I've come out of the lockdown far wealthier than I went in. Not intentionally, but I, I hate these policies, but that's just what's happened. Um, but, and the poor have gotten a lot poorer. It's been this great diffusion of, of, of wealth. And if you look at refugees, Australia took 19,000 refugees per year pre-COVID. We've had none in the last two years. That's 40,000 refugees who could have come but won't, who are stuck in Afghanistan or war-torn countries who can't come and who can't start businesses in Australia who would have created a job. So the so-called left who are meant to be pro-immigration and pro-refugee have stopped 40,000 refugees coming to Australia, including refugee advocates who will stop them, which is completely bizarre. So then this weird role reversal where the right have inadvertently become pro pro people and the left have done the reverse. Um, and it's really weird. So but it's not, it's not anyway, it's certainly people on the left like myself who call it soft left, not so far left, who who don't like these policies and who hate people in housing commissions being locked up by Dan Andrews and who I hate this stuff, but you sort of get lumped in with a sort of I feel the same thing. I yeah. mean, look at all this different sort of stuff that's coming up and it's like, it's for the first time I've ever really noticed it. It's either you have to pick sides and everyone has been lumped in and everyone's like, everything's been become so politically driven with everything. It's like, we're not looking at each different thing coming up as they look. And I, I feel a bit the same. I sort of float between how I feel on different topics, but it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why we have to be everyone. So like, it's almost like anger. It's like their, their way of venting and getting out across each other. Don't know. Yeah. And you see the anger on you guys on Twitter. You see the bitch wrong anger on Twitter and the, and the personal attack. Like, obviously there always is a degree of that, but it feels like it's next level. Um, we, yeah, I know this is not the point of the show, but yeah, I think we've forgotten. We've become so insular and the world has, not just Australia, but the world becomes so insular. Everybody starts thinking as we've looked from sort of looking at the world to looking at country to looking at your hat. And so it's sort of, Everybody's come so interesting and they think about themselves and it's, it's helped the rich. It's helped people like me who had existing businesses, but I'd much rather not have had this and uh, we'll be where we were pre-COVID, but I guess we are where we are and we've taken the opportunity. We've, we've increased our team and tried to sort of buck the trend. We, we, we gave the biggest ever vaccination promotions. We paid it. Everybody who got a vaccination before September, this is before vaccinations, everybody. This is in the early days of vaccinations. We offered $200 credit to anybody who got vaccinated. Uh, we were the first company to do that. So we tried to do our bit to just change the conversation. This is when people were scared of AstraZeneca and all that kind of stuff. So how do we change the conversation to get people thinking in July, June, July, about, maybe it was in May, about getting vaccinated quickly. Uh, and then now, fortunately, it's happened. But um, Well, a lot of it yeah, was like fed to us in fear. Like, all I remember, like, get the vaccine. Oh, if you don't get this, you won't be able to breathe. And all the ads are like, fucking, mm-hmm. you look at other countries and it's like, celebrity endorsements are going, yeah, go get the jab and it's all good. And that makes mm. you feel more part of like, yeah, yeah, I should just fucking do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was almost like the smokes campaign. Yeah, it was like, fucking hell. But well, yeah. Like I, the, if you remember, it was like the, the Grim Reaper campaign in the 80s, the demonized LGBTI. The same guy who did that has been the biggest lockdown a guy called Bill Botel, who's put forward as this great health advocate. He's not, doesn't, he's not a doctor, he's got an after degree from 1975, but he was the guy who demonized LGBTI in the 80s, and he's the guy who has been the main lockdown advocate in the country. So it's the same people, um, which is sad. Anyway, we're largely out of it now, thankfully, and antivirals have some amazing news of Pfizer and antiviral. If that works, like the trials, pandemic's over. The 89% efficacy on antiviral, there's kind of no more pandemic. Um, but certainly, if you go around the world, I've been in the UK for four months. I've been in a shed, like a WeWork style Soho house workspace. No one wears masks. People are Everybody's sort, of, everybody sort of under 35, under 40, having a great time. Soho, as in coming down, Soho are pumping with people, like the cities are coming back, tubes are full, 
travel anywhere. Heathrow's busy. Like, you, and I speak to my friends in the US for the same time. US and UK are back. Western Europe's back. Like it's Australia's sort of coming back, but they're, they're right. You can travel, you can do stuff. It's very different to probably the, what people are still, even with Sydney and Victoria and Melbourne but open again, and obviously the rest of Australia's been open. Um, there is that, there's no weariness to travel. People will just get on, get on a plane and travel now. Yeah, mm. I feel that. Hey, it's probably a, a good segue into our, our next question. A question we ask all our guests is around uh, our partner of the show, Heaps Normal, non alcoholic beer. Question we ask all our guests is what's your version of Heaps Normal? What's the thing that you turn to when you need your batteries recharged, when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Uh, I, actually, I actually don't drink. So I love the Heaps Normal guys. I think it's a cracking business. So get onto it. Great alumni to start, mate. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I sort of run every day. Um, don't eat meat, don't drink. So I'm a bit, <laughs> a bit boring in some respects. I drink coffee, so I'm like, where's my boring guy? But I have a pretty natural, I'm up at 5 a.m. and sort of working at 5.01. So I'm sort of lucky in a sense that it sort of can get onto it pretty quick. But uh, and I'm kind of just motivated by doing stuff. I love working with people. And I miss being in the office. I've been in the office, I love the office, which has been great. There's sort of four of us, amazing team. But I miss being in a 150-person office, play table tennis and, and that kind of stuff. So energize my people. My kids are super energetic. My wife's very energetic. She sort of pole dances and runs and does gym every day as well. So we just generally sort of do stuff. So lucky enough that it's self-motivating. Well, mate, I feel, I'm feeling the energy coming on the other side here. No oh. coffee up. We're for, up at five o'clock working at 5.01. I'm, oh, it's I'm making me feel like a piece of shit, to be honest. I don't <laughs> yeah, do anything you anywhere guys, near that. You guys, right. you guys are right, I think. <laughs> how, how important was it, though, to establish that for yourself? Like, was it something that come naturally where you're like, I need to carve out time. I need to... Um, maybe a different lifestyle. Like it's like, hang on, if I need to commit to this sort of stuff, I need to be getting up and I need to be doing time and, and allocating that to work and stuff well, like that. It's being progressive. I think when, I, when I, we started the business, as you know, we saw lots of founders, like the first five years of the business, well, first few years, I did every customer, a lot of customer service emails. I got up at 6 a.m. I got up at five more recently. I got up at 6 a.m. customer service emails. So make sure we got, got that queue down and started working early and checked the day's results. So you just start doing stuff because you've got stuff to do. And then obviously kids come and you sort of have to get up early, have to get, if I want to go for a run, I've got to get to go for a run before the kids get up and all that kind of stuff. So you're kind of forced in a way to do that. Um, but then it just gradually got up earlier and earlier. So sort of 10 minutes earlier every year, basically. And then it's kind of just natural. Uh, I might go to bed, I go to bed at 10, 10, 15 now, not 11 like I used to. So I still get the seven hours and it just sort of brings an hour earlier. So some people go to bed at one and get up at eight. And same thing. Just, you just, I just find you a bit more, I'm a bit more productive in the morning. Everybody's different. It's, there's no right and wrong there. I think there's, I think we over over sort of lord people get up at four or five. Like you can get up at seven and go to bed at twelve and work as well. But just I happen to have that system where I work well in the morning. But everyone's different. There's no certainly no right. I'm the same. I got, I got a little window in the morning. I like I like working at night. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got stints where I can sit and do shit at night. But uh, if I don't if I don't get anything done, self awareness though, isn't it? It's yeah. yeah. You got to be aware of how you work. But 100. Yeah, well, exactly. percent Adam, thank exactly. you so much for jumping on and letting us pick your brain and. Hearing a bit of your story and your journey, unreal. Can't wait to get this episode out in the world. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time. Good luck with the show. Hey, Schwabby. Unreal. I reckon that was one of our best pods we've ever done, I reckon. Because we didn't have to talk too much. He just went on and on. And he blew our minds. It was fucking unreal. He did blow our minds. They're doing some pretty crazy things there and uh, just... Just impressed. It's all round impressed. Hey, if you're new to the pod, we drop guest episodes Monday, Thursday. Snacks pods come at you hot. Tuesday, Wednesday, hot or not drops Friday. And Funny Business Recommends drops when we say it drops.